You are listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at journeycc.net. Today's message is brought to you by Scott McFarland. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, Journey. It's great to worship with you this morning, and I'm excited to start this new series with you called Hope Again. Resurrection, as we just sang about, is the beginning of hope again for the disciples and for all of us. And we celebrate that this Christmas season and want to encourage and grow your hope and our hope together. Roger's going to come up and start off our series with this first message on giving you hope. Welcome Roger right now as he speaks. Good morning, good morning. This is the first day of the Advent season, for the first Sunday of the Advent season anyway. And uh, what we're doing, first of all, is giving all of you permission to play Christmas carols now and put up your Christmas tree and the lights around your house. You've been asking this question since the day after Halloween. Is it too early? Is it too early? Well, you have definite permission to do that now. This is the beginning of the Advent season. It's been a year since we've been talking about the birth of Jesus, and so uh, I, I want to remind us of some things. We need to review the message from Scripture about the coming of the Christ child. And so I want to help us just go through the basics of it. And I'm going to use a cartoon from Bill Keane, who's the cartoonist for the family circus. In this cartoon, the first panel has his three very small children. We think maybe they're about four, two, and one year of age. The four-year-old is pretending to read out of an open book the story of Christmas. Uh, The two-year-old has a picture of his dog that he's playing with, and the one-year-old is just there. But she begins reading the Christmas story. Now pay attention as I read this, because this will bring back then all the details of the Christmas story that you need to know. Here it is. Mary and Joseph were camping out under a star in the east. It was a silent night in Bethlehem until the angels began to sing. Then Santa brought baby Jesus in his sleigh and laid him in a manger. And then she looks at her little brother who's playing with a picture of his dog and he says, pay attention, Jeffy, or you'll never learn the story of Christmas. And then goes on, chestnuts were roasting by an open fire and not a creature was stirring. So the Grinch stole some swaddling clothes from Scrooge, who was one of the three wise men riding on eight tiny reindeer. So if you have that detail down, now you're ready to get into the Christmas season. We're going to begin this message with a scripture from Micah, a little little, uh, prophetic book in the Old Testament that talks about the prophecy of the coming It's the uh, 8th century B.C. Micah is a prophet contemporary with Isaiah, and the two of them are going to put this message together. Micah says that there's a problem here, and we need to find some answer to that. The problems they had in that day were very similar to the problems we have today. They wanted a better world. They wanted resolution for their problems and corrections of all the wrongs. They needed someone who could help calm their spirits and give guidance in order for peace to come to their land. Same needs we have today. 
and we have the same person, we have in reality, they had by promise. Here's the need that we're talking about. All of those things that I just mentioned, and we celebrate the person of peace whom God sent to be a resolution for all of those kinds of issues. His name is Jesus. That doesn't surprise you that I would say that. We're in a church. I'm a pastor. I'm preaching a sermon. What else would I want to say is the answer to all of these things other than Jesus? So we have a sequence of events that took place in the life of the people of Israel, and I think we'll find some parallels to our life today as well. The first thing we note is that they were in a period of decadence. They were a nation who were experiencing decadence. Israel and Judah were one nation until they divided after the reign of Solomon was completed as their king. Then they broke into two different nations, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And here it is in a terrible time for Judah and Israel both. In Micah, the seventh chapter, this is what he said. They have political problems. They have national problems, social, moral, spiritual. They are a mess at this time. Here's what he said. The godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. That's a terrible description. But it was where they were at that time. Internal decadence. Does that sound familiar? Spiritual decline will take place. Spiritual result, uh, problems will be the result. It'll be moral, political, economic when you cut God out of the picture. Micah spoke as a prophet, as a spokesman for God. It says, first of all, he spoke to the people. He said, hear, O peoples, all of you listen, O earth and all who are in it, that the sovereign Lord may witness against you the Lord from his holy temple. What he's saying, God has a message for you, and he's not pleased, he's not happy with you. He wants to witness against you, and the people don't want to hear it. They will not listen. So Micah left the people, and he went to the leaders. Then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, and the leaders would not listen. If the people won't listen and the leaders won't listen, then we'll go talk to the mountains. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundation of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. See, the sequence is this way. You reject God and decadence will happen. 
It doesn't happen all at once. It's not like all of a sudden the people are involved in decadence. It's a gradual thing. It begins maybe by taking God out of our courts. No more Ten Commandments showing. No prayer allowed in the public schools. Taking God out. Just a gradual kind of thing. You see, open the door, crack, and the burglar gets in. I heard a lady by the name of Annabelle Gillum tell a story one time about a day when she was expecting a visit from a very dear friend. They were coming over to pray together and have a Bible study together, and Annabelle was in her kitchen, very busy there, and she heard a knock on the door. It must be her friend, so she just yelled from the kitchen, Come on in, I'll be in in just a moment. And as soon as she was free, she went into the living room and found the vacuum sweeper salesman had entered her house, comfortably seating on her chairs, waiting for her to come. She didn't expect him. She didn't want him. But there he was. That's kind of the way it is when decadence begins with a nation. We in ignore God's instruction and decadence will take place. I think we have an illustration of that in our country today. Which leads then to the second issue. It became a time of destruction. See, the decadence was personal. It's a matter of the heart. And now it leads to a time of destruction, deep national trouble. They were a divided kingdom, Judah to the south and Israel to the north, and they fought against other nations, but they also went to war against each other. At this one time, Israel wanted to invade Judah. Israel to the north, Judah to the south, they wanted to invade Judah but they knew they didn't have the horses to pull it off. So they went to the country north of them, the country called Syria. I think we have it on a little map, a drawing kind of thing that we can put up here. And they went to Syria, and they made a, con a contract with Syria that they would help Israel invade Judah. And they did so. They went down, they destroyed a lot of Israel, a lot of Judah. They could not, however, take the capital, which was Jerusalem. The king there was too strong for them. So they took 120,000 Judah people back to their land with them and put them in captivity. Now, the remaining people in Judah, the capital of Jerusalem, decided they needed to get even with them, so they went to Assyria. And they made a compact with Syria. They said, you help us, Assyria help Judah, invade Syria and Israel, we'll free those who are captive, we'll, dis we'll divide the spoils after the war is over, and you'll come out better, and we'll be safe. Isaiah the prophet heard about this, and the prophet Isaiah said, no, don't do this. God has protected you thus far. 
He will protect you again. Don't go to Assyria. They went to Assyria. They made a compact with them. Well, Syria is a strong army, so Syria said, we will do that. We'll be down. We have to go back through... Uh, Assyria said that. They have to go back through Syria to get down there. And they went there. They destroyed Damascus, the capital of Syria. And so from there, they went on down. And things were going so well for Assyria just by itself. They destroyed much of Israel and were headed with the momentum. Why not? We've got it made. We'll go on down to Judah. And we'll destroy them and take all the booty from the victory. Now, Isaiah heard about this happening. And Isaiah put a sign, like a, a billboard, out along the highway. He put a sign out there, and this is what it said. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. You know what that means? It means... Quickly to the plunder. Come and get them. Go for it. Easy pickings. What he's saying is, Assyria, since Judah disobeyed God's prophet Isaiah in going beyond God to get help on his own, you go ahead and go on down there and take care of them. See, it would be kind of like uh, Northern California and Southern California are at war. And Northern California went to the governor of Oregon and they put their troops together and they came down to Southern California and they took 120,000 captives from there and took them back up to Oregon. They didn't destroy Los Angeles, though. The mayor of Los Angeles was too strong for them. When Southern California realized what was happening, they went to Idaho. And in Idaho, they got the governor there to admit their troops, commit their troops to help Southern California. They went on to Oregon. They tore apart Portland. Well, which what's left of it anyway at this time? They tore apart Portland, came down through that way. They destroyed a part of Northern California. That's where we are. And they saw a billboard out on Highway 5 that said, go ahead and take them. Isaiah then one time wrote in his scripture, why are you crying aloud? What's the matter? Is your king dead? Is your counselor absent? Go ahead and get them. They were in a terrible time of destruction. The lack of trust in God allowed deterioration and destruction. It always does. When people turn God out of their lives, out of their society, out of their government, it results in destruction. And that's where they are. Why is this so important to us? Because we are so much like them. 
In a lot of ways, we are facing a period of destruction because of our decadence. And then the people of Judah cried out to God, a cry of desperation. See, how bad can it get? Help! We don't know where to turn now. And so Isaiah said, why do you cry aloud now? Don't you have a king? Is your counselor a parish that pain seizes you like a woman in labor? I can imagine that he's almost laughing while he says this. What's going on now? You didn't listen to God. You got in trouble. Now you're crying about it. What happened to your king? He isn't as strong as you thought he was. Your counselors, where are they now? I wonder if he's taunting them. Maybe a bit of sarcasm here. Enjoy sin for a season, then face the consequence, and they didn't like the consequence, so they cried out. I wonder if there's any way that applies to us today. Our nation, our culture, our families, individually. See, when we disobey God there will be negative results. We decided to devalue life. So the abortion industry thrives. There's brutality, murders. We legalize sin. Read the newspapers and you get tired of it. Listen to the news reports on your television and here it is this morning, wake up to a fresh Sunday morning, first Sunday of Advent, and hear about two young boys who were shot at the mall in San, uh, Sacramento. Why is that happening? What is happening? When's it going to start? What can we do about it? All the crime and the immorality, family breakdowns, our economy, our enemies, even Santa Claus. What are we going to do about all of this? There's no peace in decadence but we cry for it who can lead us there's a story that's been around for a while about a pastor who was officiating at a funeral when he was done he was asked to lead the funeral procession as it made its way to the cemetery he got into his car and he started driving at the head of the funeral procession He flipped on his radio and became preoccupied, lost in thought. He forgot where he was going. And about that time, he passed a Kmart and thought about something he needed to pick up. So he turned into the parking lot. As he was looking for a parking space, he just happened to glance into the rearview mirror and saw a string of cars following him, all with their lights on, so self-absorbed, And then so humbled. See, that's what happened to Israel. They followed the wrong leader. They became preoccupied with themselves. And now they see them turning in the text, looking in the rearview mirror, so to speak, and realize they were not in the right place. Bernard Baruch, an American statesman years ago, appeared as a witness before a Senate investigative committee, when he was asked to suggest what Congress might do 
to prevent the periodic ups and downs of the nation's economy. Baruch said this, Pass a law changing human nature and make it retroactive back to the Garden of Eden. Can't be done, but what, what would happen if we did do that? These people were desperate, and they cried out to God, and God heard their cry. God did intervene in a most unusual way. He provided a person of deliverance. In the midst of the decadence and destruction and desperation, there's a ray of hope in all that ugly mess like finding a gold chunk in a mud puddle or a lily at bloom in a stagnant pond. There was hope. Hope from a child in Bethlehem. This is what Micah said about it. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until a time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And then that last phrase, and he will be their peace. That word must have hit the news world at that time and brought hope in the hearts of the people of Israel. Same pertinent news for our world today. He will be their peace. Deliverance came to the world in a person, and our hope today is in the same one. We don't need a new president to depend upon to bring hope, peace to this world. It won't come in a new governor or passing new laws, economic bailouts, new job, more money, more time, more pleasure. Those things will not bring deliverance to us. Our hope is great, so much greater than what any of these can provide. But from an unexpected person, in an unexpected way, and at that time to a people who didn't recognize it, the baby king, the ruler, the peace giver. Name Jesus. He will be their peace. And the people realized God's provision. Just a little bit to the southeast of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, there's a large hill with a flat top which was artificially heightened. It was the location of Herod's summer palace. Forty years before Jesus was born, Herod defeated Antigonus and called himself Herod the Great. He wanted everyone to remember that he was great, so in memory of this event, he built a summer castle, actually a whole complex 
of palaces and named it after itself, Herodium. It was beautiful, but it's gone today except for a few ruins. When Herod died, he was buried there, but no one ever visits his home today except for a few archaeologists. He called himself great, but he was anything but great. Long since forgotten. Jesus never called himself great, but he's called great by others. He will never be forgotten, and the place of his birth will never be forgotten. Millions of people stream to Bethlehem every year to visit the place where Jesus was born. Jesus will always be remembered because he was great. I saw this little article with a picture of a damaged car. This was written by Steve Brown, written and published, and this is one of those kinds of cars. He said, while I was driving home the other day, I saw the ugliest car I've ever seen. This car wasn't just ugly, it was ugly on ugly. It had a large gash on its side, the door was held together with bailing wire, many places on the car were rusted out, the muffler I could see it from behind, was loose and with every bump was hitting the street, sending sparks in every direction. It was hard to tell the original color of the car. The rust had eaten away much of the original paint and so much of the car had been painted over with so many different colors that any one of them or none of them could have been the first coat. The most interesting thing about this car was a bumper sticker. It read, this is not an abandoned car. We live in a fallen world, and we have a lot of dents and scrapes, scratches. Things have been changed about it. And we could say today the same thing, this is not an abandoned world because a long time ago a baby came who became our hope he will be their peace and we can rephrase that to say he is our peace there was a little fellow first grader who was having trouble getting his lines right in the Christmas play. It wasn't his fault, really. He had been miscast. He was to be the angel, and he had no experience for that part. Things didn't go well for him at the rehearsal. He couldn't get it right. His embarrassed but wise mother saw him struggling and figured out what his trouble was. He wasn't fluent in the King James English. His problem was with the words, Glad tidings. Behold, I bring you glad tidings. Well, that made all the difference. When the big night came, he was ready. Scrubbed until he squeaked, his redesigned bed sheet glistening. He looked every bit the angel, except maybe for his halo, halo slightly askew there above his head. On cue, our hero bounded out of the wings onto the stage, and announced for the whole world to hear, Hey, I got good news for you. 
And that's the message we have for the world today. There's hope. Hey, I got good news for you. Jesus is our peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you looked on us in our time of need. And you gave to us the one who can be the solution to all of our problems. He became our Savior. That little baby grew up. He faced the torment and torture of the crowds and the ridicule of the people. And he faced the cross and then the grave. And from that grave he arose and became then our eternal salvation. We thank you, God, for the hope that is in us because of the baby you sent and the man you delivered to us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. If you would like to support us as we pursue God and love people one at a time, please consider a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeycc.net slash giving.